Douglas White, come and take your liberty and preach the Word of God. And we're going to preach with the preacher, aren't we? Amen. God bless you. Give all the praise you can to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. God bless you. Would you indulge me but just a moment and please be seated. I'll have you stand again in a few moments for the reading of the word of the Lord. But I am so glad to be back in Denver. I love this place. I love you fine folks. Appreciate the opportunity to be back here again. And uh, I uh, always, always, always enjoy being. I, I don't know that there's any place that's any kinder than you folks are right here in Denver. And every time I see it, don't matter if I see you here, if I see you in a conference somewhere, y'all just hug my neck, act like I'm somebody. I like people that let me be. I'm not real good at being nobody else but Doug White. I, I, I don't. I don't hardly ever try that, but I appreciate being here. Love, Pastor Heyman and uh, these folks. I'm telling you, they just don't come no sweeter than these folks. And I always enjoy getting to be with them. Yay and amen. I love you so much I could kiss you on the bald spot. And his bald spot is pretty significant. I'm telling you that right now. But I uh, <clears throat> love being with Brother... Amen. And Bishop Heyman, he's my friend. And I love and appreciate Brother Bishop Heyman. And I promise you, I respect him more every day that I live. And every time that I meet him and hug his neck, I, uh, I love him. And I got news for you. The day that a man becomes unteachable is the, man, the day a man becomes untouchable. And I, uh, the older I get, the more I appreciate the wisdom of people like Bishop Don Heyman. And I am getting older. I am getting older. I uh, uh, still got my youthful figure, but I am getting older. I was preaching here a while back and told a pretty little old girl walked by, and I shook her hand. I said, hey, baby, how old are you? And she held up her hands. I said, ooh, I love talking to kids. If y'all can't tell, I guess I just hit that papaw thing early is all I can figure. <clears throat> I said, man, I hope when I get to be your age, I'm as good looking as you. And all of a sudden, she just got this real scared look on her face. And I said, you reckon when I get to be your age, I'll be as good looking as you? And she said, you're too far gone. <laughs> it's always good to know you're too far gone. I've just lost a, a fairly significant amount of weight. I've lost about 146 pounds over the last year and a half. So, You know, I, honestly, I don't understand why people clap their hands. I'm the one that got fat. I don't understand all that, but... But here a while back, I got a young African-American, uh, got a racially diverse congregation, a young African-American child. He come walking up to me, he said, ooh, he calls me Bishop. He said, ooh, Bishop, you sure are losing weight. I said, well, thank you, buddy. He said, Bishop, I want to ask you a question. I said, all right, what you got, buddy? He said, you reckon you get skinny enough, your hair will crawl back up on your head? <laughs> he wasn't in the hospital long, I promise. But I uh, do appreciate being here. The speakers with whom I'm joined in ministry this week, trust me, long before I got here, I had no illusions of my capabilities. And I am 
linked up with some precious, precious men, great men of the word, the illustrious crew that I share this pulpit with, I, I came here well assured that I'm outclassed, I'm outpedigreed, and I will be outpreached. But the good part is I'm just as assured that I'm in touch with God, I'm in tune with His will, and I'm intense about what I feel in my heart. So I feel pretty good about that. And with that, let's turn to the Word of the Lord. If you would, stand to your feet. Let's go to the Word of the Lord. I'm going to read to you tonight from the book of Judges, chapter number 15. And we will go to the 15th division and the 6th verse of the book of Judges. <clears throat> the Bible said, in Judges chapter number 15 and verse number 6, Then the Philistines said, <clears throat> Who hath done this? And they answered, Samson, the son Son-in-law of the Timnite, because he hath taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Now, if we'll move down to the beginning of the 12th verse. It says, And they said unto him, We are come down to bind thee. Everybody say, Bind thee. <laughs> that we may deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said unto them, Swear unto me that you will not fall upon me yourselves. And they spake, saying, No, but we will bind thee fast and deliver you into their hand, and but we'll surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new cords, and they brought him up from the rock. And when they came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and the cords that were upon his arms became as flax that was burned with a fire, and his bands loosed from off his hands. Pastor Haman said that it had been seven years since I'd been here. I went back today and don't want to discourage you, but i got to tell you, it's been the longest seven years of my life. When I left here last time, it was just a matter of a few weeks when Hurricane Rita comes screaming into my city, a church that we had just completely remodeled, completely devastated our church, left it completely in ruins. The insurance totaled it out. I ended up having church in a tent with my precious people for months in the Texas heat that it became almost tropical after the hurricane. We fought insurance companies. We fought all kinds of things. We launched into a long, hard building program. Got stuck in the middle because the insurance stopped payment, said they wouldn't pay. Uh, for a year and a half, every morning at 4 o'clock, I'd get up and I'd go into the living room and I'd lay on the floor. I'd look out across the field at that church that had stood with nothing going on for over a year and a half. I began to pray every morning that God would give us an answer, and God did. And when we finally got through this thing, the night, Brother Spell, that I was walking out on the platform to dedicate my building, I'd already sent out all of the officials, already sent out all of my preachers. A man stopped me and said, I need to talk to you before you go on the platform. What should have been the crowning moment of my ministry up to that point, he said, I need to tell you that because of the unscrupulous actions of your contractor, not many of the subcontractors have been paid. And you're going to be sued. And I walked out on the platform that night being informed that I was going to be sued six different times by six, six different entities, personally and my church. And I, uh, in the midst of lawsuits, in the midst of sleepless nights, I thought maybe we was going to get up over that. And all of a sudden, a doctor sat down about a year and a half ago and looked me in the eye and said, You will not live until Thanksgiving of this year. You'll, you'll be dead before Thanksgiving rolls around. I didn't tell my wife for almost two months. That never enhances a marriage. I didn't tell my wife for almost two months. And it was just a, a, a hard time. But i got to be honest with you tonight. You know, the Bible said, I reckon the suffering of this. Sometimes, even the writer said, I... 
I, 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 I'm not sure, but I reckon. And sometimes you've got to reckon with the reckons in your life. And I begin to do some reckoning with those reckons in my life over the last seven years. And I've got to tell you today, I've come to this pulpit, the burden with an intensity. I'm probably not the same fellow you knew seven years ago. But I promise you, I still have the same passion. Tonight, it will be vital for some of you to hear the word of the Lord because I do feel reassured in my spirit that God wants to release a brand new dimension of anointing upon this congregation and upon some of you here. But before God can release that, there are some things that have got to be released from our spirit, from our hearts, from our attitudes. Tell you what I'm going to do tonight. I want you to take your neighbor by the hand. I want you to look them in the eye and you're going to tell them the title of my message tonight. I want you to shake their hand and tell them, you may hurt me. Oh, come on now. Tell them, you may hurt me. Somebody shout, you may hurt me, but you can't hold me hostage. I'm preaching tonight to this church. You can hurt me, but you can't hold me hostage. I refuse to be held hostage. Would you clap your hands to the Lord and love Him before you're seated? God bless you. You can be seated. You uh, are a great, great people. Tonight it's my privilege to stand before a people that the everlasting Almighty would speak of and say that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. While you may think you're sitting near, beside, or behind somebody uh, that's just some random pile of flesh, you need to be reminded that we were created as the ultimate machine. I feel safe in saying today that you are the apex of God's creation. In fact, I read the Word of God, and the Word of God tells us that we are the apple of His eye. The body that you sit in tonight was so intricate that God created that body with 100 trillion cells. There are 206 bones in the body that you sit with tonight, 600 muscles. There are 22 internal organs, and all of that is surrounded by the largest organ, which is your skin, your epidermis, and we call that a body. Within that human body, there are many self-contained systems. There's a circulatory system comprised of the heart, the blood, and the vessels. There's a respiratory system comprised of the nose, the trachea, the lungs. There's an immune system comprised of protein, cells, organs, and tissue. There is... A skeletal system, there's an excretory system comprised of the lungs, the, uh, the kidneys, the, the large intestine. There's a urinary system comprised of the bladder and the kidneys. A muscular system comprised of all 600 of those muscles. There's an endocrine system of all of your glands in it. There's a digestive system with your mouth, your esophagus, your stomach, your intestines. And, and there's a nervous system comprised of your brain and your spinal cord and your nerves. And there's a reproductive system, and I don't suspect I have to describe that one for you. It should be noted tonight that God was so matriculate in the creation of this tabernacle of flesh that you and I sit in tonight that every square inch of the human body has about 19 million cells. Every hour that you live, about 1 billion cells in the human body have got to be replaced. The average human head has about 100,000 hairs, or if you're like me, I've got 163 and a half hairs left. The circulatory system of your body, comprised of the arteries, veins, and capillaries, have laid end to end. They speculate would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 60,000 miles long. The average heart in your body will beat somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.5 
billion times. There's about 9,000 taste buds on the surface of your tongue, in your throat, and on the roof of your mouth that tells you that honey is sweet and that salt is salty. The human heart creates enough pressure that if they were to cut you open and open your artery immediately, it would squirt somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 feet. And yet, it only takes about 20 seconds for a red blood cell to circulate the entire body. My brothers and my sisters, I feel very comfortable tonight to tell you that you are not some afterthought in the mind of God. You are not some, if I get around to it, in the schedule of the Almighty. You are the masterpiece of creation. And no wonder, that's why the Bible said that you were created in the likeness and in the image of God. But it's only fair tonight that I tell you, if I go beyond the flesh that houses all 100 trillion cells, then I've got to tell you that there is sometimes just as complex and often much more fragile inside of that human body. An emotional psyche that every individual has that sometimes life itself puts on a roller coaster of extremes in our world. Let me tell you why our emotions sometimes put us on a roller coaster of extremes. It's because all of us in this building have an emotional framework in our lives that naturally craves certain elements. Each of us, whether you want to admit it or not, you can square your shoulders back and say, I'm self-sufficient, I don't much care what anybody thinks, but I've come to tell you tonight that you have a built-in emotional pattern. You want to love and you want to be loved. You want to be wanted. You want to be appreciated by others. You crave the acceptance of your peers. We can put on a plethora of masks and we can say that it's not so, but I propose to this congregation tonight that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. We feel some of those things because that is what God himself feels when he deals with humanity. But the problem with all of that is because of our ability to love, we run the risk of being hurt. You may not care what a stranger thinks about you, but we are acutely aware of what somebody that we love thinks about us. We want to be wanted. But when you want to be wanted, you have to accept the fact that you may, in fact, have the potential of being hurt. And when we find out that our desire for acceptance has been taken advantage of and used, there's something inside of us that is damaged and wounded inside of the heart of every individual. You better settle it in your heart today that simply by virtue of the fact that you're human with human emotions you're going to hurt sometime it's not comfortable but it is unavoidable it's not pleasant but it is reality it's not enjoyable but it is inevitable in fact I don't think that it's any stretch of the imagination to anybody in this building that's old enough to think, to say, you know what it feels like to have a hurting heart and a wounded spirit. If you're living in life, then I promise you, you're going to feel pain somewhere along the way. Come on, nudge your neighbor a little bit right now and tell him, you can't hurt me. That pain does not mean that you're a failure. That pain simply means that you're human. That pain 
pain does not mean that you're a lost cause. That pain means you have a real heart. That pain does not mean that you're a reject. That pain means that you have real feelings. That pain does not mean that you're worthless. That pain just means that you want to be wanted pain. Let's talk about pain tonight, shall we? Where does pain come from? The list would be endless and painful. Pain, real pain comes by the rejection of somebody that you love. Real pain shows up in the abandonment of a parent that should have loved you enough to stay there and stick it out. Real pain comes from being taken advantage of for what you could give instead of being appreciated for who you are. Real pain comes from abuse, either emotionally or verbally or physically or sexually when you are too young or incapable of helping your own self. Real pain comes when you are ostracized and talked about by those that were supposed to be your friends. The Bible tells us that a man offended is harder to be won than a city with strong walls. In fact, when you read the book of Matthew and Jesus begins to talk about all of the things that were going to show up in the end time, he begins to talk about all of the different facets the end time would show us. But God said, before I shut down my little sermon today, you need to understand, in that day many shall be offended. He began to tell them that one of the hell's chief things that he would do to stop the progress of the church is to put us in a position that we find ourselves hurt and we find ourselves wounded. That's why you've got conflicts within a congregation. That's why you've got conflicts within a family. That's why you have conflicts between pastors and young men, bishops, and those that you faithfully serve. That's why there's conflicts in leadership. And on and on I could go and all it would do is stir up the painful feelings of what transgressed your hearts in your yesterday. But let the issue be settled once and for all. That living life means uh, that you either have been or you will be hurt. All of us are going to hurt sometimes. But my point for being in this pulpit tonight is not to tell you that pain hurts. <clears throat> we know that. It's not to tell you that humanity is vulnerable. We understand that. It's not to tell you that real emotions put you at risk. We know that. But my whole purpose for being in the pulpit tonight is much more direct to the heart of God tonight when he wants to speak to this church. I've come to preach to this congregation not just about being hurt, but to tell you that if we are not careful, that we can be hurt and it will affect us in a, a several unexpected ways. Are you listening to me right now? Hear me today when I tell you that it's high time for us to realize that hell knows the impact that hurt has on our heart. Hell knows that hurt causes us to lose trust in people. Hurt causes us to hold others at a distance. Hurt causes us to withdraw into seclusion. Hurt causes us to live in silent shame. Hurt causes us to put on masks and think that it'll keep others from ever being able to hurt the real us again. And when that happens, even though you never expected it to affect you that way, suddenly, silently, and sadly, hell tries to turn your hurt into a hostage situation. I'll tell you what I'm talking about tonight. Just a short while ago, I was in the office with a precious 
precious saint of mine. This was the kind of saint that every, every pastor wants. This is the kind of saint that everybody wishes you had a church full of. She was very sensitive to God. And she was very in tune with the flow of God. She loved her pastor. She prayed for me all the time, Bishop Heyman. This lady was one of the finest young ladies you'll ever meet in all of your life. But today she sat in my office seeking a God that she could no longer feel. Once a lady that knew what it was like if there was one tingle of God that flowed through the building. This girl was the kind that was going to pick up on it. I know what it's like to sit in my office counseling with somebody and trying to find my own heart. What's the answer for this situation? And suddenly the telephone would ring and I'd pick up the phone and it would be this lady and she She'd say, Brother White, I don't know where you're at or what you're doing. But God said to tell you this, this, and this. And it'd be exactly the answers that I was looking for. Every pastor wants one of her. But now I sit in office and I look at her. We're talking and she's, she's weeping and she's crying. And it's hard for her to keep her composure. She was trying to feel a God that she hadn't felt in a long, long time. She was desperate to hear from a God that she hadn't heard from in far too long. Desperate to experience the glory of God that she once was accustomed to but lost somewhere along the way. And as we sat there, I know a little bit about the will of God. I always get tickled when people tell me I want to know uh, where the, what the will of God is. The first thing I usually ask them is, have you ever been in the will of God? Oh, yes. Then you need to go back to where it was you lost the will of God and figure out where you left that thing at. That's where we got to start. So we sit there that day and we begin to talk. We sit there realizing we got to find the place where she'd lost the joy of living for God. We got to find the place where she'd left the anointing behind that she'd want. Where's that place that separated her from God's touch? Can I just preach to real people for a few minutes in this building? I want to preach to everybody that sits in this building who serves the only true God that loves the only saving truth in existence that worships with God's called out church and tell you something's wrong when you've lost your joy. Something's wrong when you've left behind the anointing. Something's wrong when you've lost the touch of God on your life. God didn't save you to leave you a struggling saint in a pew or leave you living on the fragile edge of backslidden all the days of your life. You're a blood-bought child of God. I feel the Holy Ghost up in this place right now. You're a blood-bought child of God. It's the will of God for you to call yourself higher than your trouble. It's the will of God for you to walk in victory. He designed you to walk in the supernatural. He's designed you to overcome every obstacle and march over every adversary. God designed this church to walk in anointing. I'm just, I'm just a little different. I don't believe all the anointing there is is for the preacher that sits in the pulpit. I just, I'm sorry, I just don't believe that. I believe there's an anointing that flows through the pews of our churches. There's something that God, there's something that God wants to put in our spirit that takes you greater than you've ever been. It loses you on a level you've never been used. And God, I feel in the Holy Ghost in this house tonight, He wants to release a new dimension of anointing. We gotta get there. We gotta start functioning as the body of Christ. Here sat this little old individual in my house, in my, my office, excuse me, wondering, why ain't God touching now? Pastor, why ain't God whispering to my heart anymore? 
Pastor, the gifts of the Spirit will set down. And I don't feel that quickening in my heart anymore. I want to know where it's at. And we begin to look. I'm not preaching about a bad person. I'm talking about the kind of child of God that every one of us wishes we had in our church. Yet here they are coming to God's house. But isolated from God's presence. Singing God's songs. But separated from God's touch. They were praying to a God whose voice was almost forgotten. You better hear me today. There was something inside this girl's heart that said I got to get back to where it was. And we sat there trying to figure out why he wasn't being felt and why he wasn't flowing her way and why she couldn't hear his voice. As we begin to look back and find out where this all stopped, this precious child of God looked at me and said, Brother White, the only thing I said, do you remember anything happening when it all stopped? Do you, do you remember encountering any struggles or trials? That, do you, do, is there anything? Do you, do you, do you know where, uh, where you sinned or something you might have displeased God? I'm talking about somebody that knew the power of anointing in her life. And she looked at me and finally she, we, we would talk and talk. And finally she just shrugged her shoulders, Pastor Heyman. And she said, Brother White, I can't think of anything. The only thing that I remember happening around that time is something happened when my spouse terribly hurt me. I found out that he was texting another woman, not in the church. In fact, I was so hurt that I said, that's it. I'm going to close off that part of my heart uh, to the point that he's never going to hurt me again. And that's exactly what I did. In fact, she said, I was so determined to avoid being hurt again. I said, I'm going to build up walls around my heart high enough that nothing's ever going to get close enough to hurt me that way again. And when she did, Brother Libby, something jumped inside of me and God spoke to me and said, that's the problem. They've allowed their pain to build walls so high that even I'm not allowed to go there anymore in her life. Pain made her a hostage. Pain stopped her from being what God had called her to be. I need somebody to hear this preacher tonight when I tell you hell knows the potential of your hurt. And the sad truth is I've got too many sitting in my church and I bet you there's a lot of them sitting in this church that allowed hurt to build walls so high in your life that you become a hostage that separated you from what God wants you to be. It separated you from what God wants you to accomplish. It separates you from the anointing that God intends to flow through your midst. It separates you from the joy of the Lord in your life. It separates you from the potential that God placed in your spirit. I already see the tears running down your face, ma'am. Hey, sir, I already see the countenance that's changed in this house. I need you to hear me today. You're supposed to be used of God, but you're not. You're supposed to have a passion to be anointed, but you don't. You once felt the supernatural, but now it's not there. But will you allow me to preach to you a few minutes in this house tonight? Let me tell some of you, if you're going to survive, there's an attitude that you better get inside of you that says I will not allow this to make me a hostage you may hurt me you may hurt me but I'm not going to let you hold me hostage now let me remind you of a story of a man named Samson all of my walk with God I've heard the story of Samson and Delilah but I might remind you before Delilah was ever in Samson's arms there was a vendetta in Samson's heart I want to explain that to you tonight by showing you the whole picture. You see, the Bible says the Lord allowed Samson to fall in love with a woman from Timnath. In fact, he was so caught up in this woman that he tells his father, I want you to get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. 
And the Bible said they put on a feast to announce the wedding and it would appear that in the midst of the feast that the enemies of the Lord came to him, Philistines. 30 Philistines shows up at, the, at this feast and they, in the process of the feast, they start challenging Samson. And the Philistines, they chide him and they start mocking him and, and trying to wage a battle against him. But Samson realizing, I've got to defuse the situation here. He poses to them a riddle and says, out of the eater came forth meat. And out of the strong came forth sweetness. You could almost hear him chide the Philistines saying, go now and see if you can figure out what that means. The answer was very simple, you see, because when Samson was going down to see this chick, he comes upon a lion and the lion tries to jump on him. He grabs a hold of the lion. He slays the lion. And the Bible said that when he slays the lion, he comes back later and there was honey in the carcass of that lion. And thus, out of the eater came forth meat and out of the strong came forth sweetness. But the problem arose when the Philistines couldn't solve the riddle. So they went to Samson's wife and they said, either you find out what the answer to the riddle is or we're going to burn you and your daddy down in your house. Watch this, watch this. Sure enough, she sweet-talked Samson into giving her the answer. And when they got back for the next part of the feast, all of a sudden in the middle of the feast, the Philistines stammed up. And they looked at Samson and said, What's stronger than a lion? And what's sweeter than honey? And they embarrassed him in front of everybody. And it hurt. And if that wasn't bad enough, her father was so upset at Samson for putting them in that position that he said, I'm going to take my daughter away and I'm going to give her to Samson's best friend. And when Samson begins to inquire about his bride, they find out that this girl has been given to Samson's friend. And when Samson realized, I've loved this woman enough to jeopardize my life and fight lions, and now she's been given to somebody else, I've come to tell you it hurt him. And then to add, so, add insult to injury, the Bible tells us the Philistines came back and just to create more problems for Samson. The Bible said that they took the woman and they took her daddy and they threw them in the house and they burned the woman and her father to death in the house and it hurt him. But let me tell you what I know about the adversary of God. Let me tell you what I know about the enemy of your souls. The one thing that I've learned through the years of living for God is that the enemy of your soul will never stop with hurt if he thinks that he can take you hostage as well. Uh, are you listening to me tonight? Hell knows uh, the power of your hurt. And hell says, I've got to exploit what's happened in their world. You see, hurt can cause you pain. Uh, but hostage stops you from being used of God. Uh, hurt can injure you. Uh, but hostage stops you from trusting men of God. Uh, hurt can wound your pride. But hostage stops the anointing from flowing inside of your spirit. Hurt can embarrass you, but hostage puts you in a prison that separates you from his touch. I'm talking about that saint that became a hostage of rebellion. Those hurt preachers was that became hostages of intimidation. I'm talking about hurt preachers that become hostages of discouragement when the adversary says you'll never grow and you'll never rise above it. I'm talking about the hurt of missionaries and evangelists. Who become hostages of isolation. And they feel like nobody knows. Nobody understands. I'm talking about the herd of young preachers whose passion to do something for God has been so ridiculed that they feel like I have nowhere else to go. 
So I've got to draw you better understand me. That's why the enemy was not satisfied just to hurt Samson. Read your Bible. As soon as the pain was inflicted, the Philistines come screaming in to capture Samson and to take him hostage. Are you listening to me tonight? I've come to preach to you. You may hurt me. But I'm not going to let you take me hostage tonight. Before you resign yourself to forever be a hostage to your situation. Before anybody in this, I feel like preaching a little bit right now. God help my strength to come on. Uh, before you ever resign yourself to say that I'm just going to be a hostage to my hurt. Let me remind you the word of God gives us an example of what it takes to tell hell. You may hurt me, but I'm not going to let you hold me hostage. You may wound me, but I'm not going to stop what I'm doing. You may try to hinder me but you're not gonna hold me hostage what's the word of God tonight oh I feel like preaching a little bit here he says there's a particular attitude you've got to have if you're going to make your hurt something less than a hostage situation you got to watch this now all too many times let me tell you what we, I, I've got him in my church so I feel a little safe preaching like this tonight was this all right with everybody uh, I got some in my church. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that get hurt. And the first thing we do when we get hurt, we start deciding, you know, I ain't going to live like I used to live. I just, excuse me, guys. Let me, let me show you what happens when we get hurt. You have scoot over, baby. I've lost weight, but not that much. Let me show you what happens. We get hurt. Somebody hurts us or some situation hurts. We, and we come to church. We're all made out of the same carnal dirt. You understand that? And we come to church and we say, well, you don't understand. I've been hurt. And we feel like that hurt gives us some special exemption, Brother Carter, that says I don't have to worship like a... So we come to... Excuse me a little bit. How you doing? We kick back and we say, whoo! I've been hurt. I, you just... As soon as I get over this, guys, I'll be back to church, okay? As soon as I... Holy God, if I fall off and land on them, you're going to know I ain't lost enough weight. We start saying, go ahead and preach to me, Pastor Haman. And as soon as I get up over my hurt, I'm going to be involved in the kingdom of God again. You know what I'm preaching about tonight, don't you? I'm talking about preachers that get hurt when you've invested yourself in somebody and you've watched them walk off and you watch in spite of everything you've done for them. And if you're not careful, you learn to come to church and lean on a sermon from yesterday because I ain't got the guts to get back up and go, I've been hurt, so I become a hostage. I'm talking about that evangelist that can't get anything moving, that can't get anything going, and their mentality is, I've been hurt. I've got an exemption. I don't have to. Oh, you're here. You're here. I feel your spirit so loud right now in this house. Brother White, I'm hurt. And I just really can't throw myself into the kingdom right now. Really? I want to tell you the attitude you're going to have to have if you're ever going to rise above that hurt situation and tell the devil, you can hurt me, but you ain't going to hold me hostage. You know the first thing? You know the first thing the Bible says happened? I need a little help here. Give me you four guys right there in the middle, okay? Come here. You're going to be Philistines tonight. Oh. All righty. You hurt me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hurt you back. I'm going to pray on you. All right. I want you all to grab a hold of me. You got to come on. Grab a hold of me. The Bible said they come after Samson. They go to fighting him. And it looked like he went, as far as I can tell, 
Samson's the only one that was in this battle against all these jokers. And he's fighting. He's trying to get. And he's doing everything that he can. Hey, folks, sometimes it feels like all of hell is set against you. And nobody understands where I'm at. I'm the only one that's going through this now. But I begin to read that as they're fighting, the Bible makes a strange statement. The Bible said he smote them hip and thigh. And he came back only for the slaughter. He smites him. And I'm thinking to myself, now, if he's going to smite him hip and thigh, why, why don't he just take the time to kill these jerks? I mean, if they're trying to do the business, you know, get rid of Why don't he just, why is he, I mean, he's just out there playing with them. But then I begin to read Brother Commentary's ideas. And he said, all that appears is that Samson became so weak because of the battle that Samson said, I'm not strong enough to kill you now, but I'm going to cripple you until I'm strong enough to come back can kill you. You want to know what it takes to come out of your mess? You've got to get an attitude inside of you that said, I may not be strong enough today, but I'm not going to let you walk around in my world. I may not be strong enough today, but I'm going to cripple you until I'm strong enough. One of the worst things that you could do are you listening to me now? One of the worst things that you can do is to come in and sit down and say, you don't understand. I've got all kinds of problems in my world. You better hear this preacher today. You better not let that thing walk around. You better not let that discouragement walk around in your heart. You better not let that depression walk around. You've got to learn to say, I may not be strong enough today, but I'm going to cripple I'm going to cripple you until I'm strong enough. Throw your hands up in the air and love him right now. You know what Samson was saying? Samson was saying, I'm tired. I've been hurt. I've been wounded. But I'm not going to let you walk around in my world until you're strong enough to kill me. I'm not going to let you walk around in my world until you get the strength to finish the job. I've come today to preach to somebody. Somewhere along the line, you've got to cripple those things that are trying to run around freely on your mind and steal your anointing. If I have to, you've got to get an attitude that said, if I have to, I'm strong enough that I'm going to worship until my heart's healed up. I'm going to pray until I hear His voice. I'm going to work until the anointing flows. I'm not just going to let you. I'm going to cripple you. I wish somebody get out of your seat right now and cripple that discouragement, cripple that frustration. You've got to cripple it. Come on, I dare you. I dare you. You better tell the devil, you can hurt me. But you're not going to hold me hostage. Sam, 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 please. Hell's good pleasure. Just to stop us. But our problem is we come to church. We look at our ministries. We look at our talents. We say, you don't understand. I've been hurt. But somewhere along the line, you've got to stand up and say, no, 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 no. I may be hurt. And I may not be as strong as I was the night God called me to preach. I may not be as vibrant as the day God first put his hand on me. 
I may not have the passion that I had the day that I walked into that city, but I got news for you. If I have to cripple you until I'm strong enough to kill you, I'm not sitting down. I'm not sitting back. I've got to fight. You can cripple me, but you can hold me hostage. But you know the next thing that he did? The first attitude you got to get is if I have to cripple you until I'm strong enough to kill you, I'm not letting you walk around in my world. Ain't happening. Hey, folks, I paid a price to be where this is tonight. I paid a price, Bishop Heyman, to stand and preach this message tonight. The next time they try to take Samson hostage, they use a different tactic. The Bible said they came to his own brethren. And they said, we want you, his own brothers, to help us take him hostage. Because as long as he's not hostage, he's going to keep killing devils. As long as he's not hostage, he's going to keep fighting against us. So they came to his own brethren and said, we don't need you to do the dirty stuff. We just need you to catch him. We need you to tie him up. You better hear me tonight. I'll tell you, there's no hurt like the hurt that comes from a brother or sister. You expect the enemy to attack you, but you don't expect your brother or your sister to become your enemy. And yet there are those that sit in churches and look around, and all they see is that one gossiped about me. And and I slipped around, and I sinned with that one. And and that one took advantage of me. And and I, I did everything that I could. And that leader didn't recognize me. And on and on and on the list goes. But the sad part is the hurt doesn't stay there. It turns into a hostage situation. And suddenly it goes from I sinned with this one or I struggle with that one or, or that one gossiped about me. It becomes they gossiped about me so I'm not fellowshipping with them anymore. <laughs> I slipped around and sinned with that one so I can't worship. They're going to think they know what I did. <laughs> that one took advantage of me. So I've got to be locked into a prison of bitterness. And all of a sudden the hurt becomes the hostage situation. I am a very blessed man and I hesitate to tell this tonight. I'm a very, very blessed man. You better hear me. I've got three children. My two oldest are sons. The oldest son is now the pastor of the church that I serve as senior pastor. My younger son's an evangelist. And that's why I hesitate to tell what I'm saying tonight. And my daughter's very gifted with music, great singer, great musician. But here, in the beginning of this seven years, when, you know, I learned a lot of things in the beginning of this seven years. When hurricane comes in, everybody said, oh, pastor, we're going to do it. We're going to build this thing up. We, we got this. Don't you worry about this. We got this. But then when the going gets tough and they're tired of sitting in a tent for a couple months trying to figure out what we're going to do, all of a sudden, they, everybody's, everybody's in it, you know, as long as it's easy. But when it's not easy anymore, sometimes they're not in it like that. I got a lot of people, you know, I got a lot of people behind me. Some of them are just way behind me. And uh, I went through some heartaches and I went through some hurts. And, and I don't say much to my kids. I, Sister Heyman, I try to be a good pastor. I really do. And I don't say much to my kids. And, but, but my kids are not stupid. My kids have been raised around this. And, and uh, this went on and they saw me sleepless nights. They knew what it was like to get up and go early to the church and find daddy praying. They knew what it was like to face all this stuff. And all of a sudden, somewhere in the midst of this, my, my youngest son, been preaching since he was five years old, felt a call of God. I, I wouldn't let him because they were making him a sideshow, and I wouldn't let him do that and pulled him out. But, but a tremendous touch of God on his life. But he's very protective of his daddy. He loves his daddy. You know what that's all about, don't you, Brother Haman? He loves his daddy. And uh, 
one day he walked into the house in the middle of all this. And Brother Ballas said, I was so tired of being punched around. I was so tired of lawyers calling my house. I was so tired of people stealing. I was so tired of saints packing up, going where they had a building that was already built and they didn't have to go there. I was so weary of all of this that I was sitting one day in my house in the chair and my son walked in. He just, I could tell something had been bothering him for weeks, Brother Haman. I couldn't tell what it was. He'd been going to the church praying. He'd been going seeking God and, and I could tell he was vexed. Something was wrong with my boy and my youngest son and and he walked in the house, and I'd already been through. I'd already prayed. I'd already sitting in the chair. And he walked in, and he looked at me. He said, Daddy, you got something on your mind. What's on your mind, Daddy? I said, nothing, son. He looked at me. He said, Daddy, something's going on. What is it? I didn't have the guts to tell him that another family was saying we're bailing out because we want to go somewhere, you know, that the building's already nice because we got kids wanting to get married and stuff, and we don't want to be in a, in, a, in a building that's half built. And I didn't have the guts to tell him there was somebody else, you know. And, and he said, Daddy, what is it? And I just kind of looked at him and said, ain't nothing, buddy. Just, I said, how you been doing, Dad? He walked over to where I was, and he looked me in the eye. He knows me. God love his heart. He looks like me. God can forgive him if he'll pray real hard, though. And he, he, he looked at me and he said, Daddy, what is it? And I said, it's nothing. And all of a sudden, I watched my baby's countenance change. A boy that knew what it was like to feel preaching in his spirit from five years old. I watched his countenance change. And he walked over to where I was, Bishop. And he stuck his face in mine. He said, Daddy, why don't you hate their guts? Why don't you hate them? Daddy, I'll help you pack, Daddy. Daddy, I'm tired of seeing you hurt. Aren't you ready to go? The condition that I was in because my child, I never wanted to see the bad in the church. I was seeing him. And he leaned over into my face and said, Why don't you hate them? And I didn't know what to do. I'm not smart like some of you people, Brother Libby. I'm not smart like some of you jokers. All I knew to do in that moment was to lean up and grab my boy by the back of his hair. And I pulled his face into mine. And I said, boy, you better hear me. I don't care how often daddy gets hurt. I love these people. Because I love the God that called these people. I don't care what you ever encounter. I love the church. Because the good will forever outweigh the bad. Son, I don't care who hurt you. I don't care what they say. You need to understand this church is still glorious. This church is still worth it. Living for God. And before it was done, he was a pile of tears on the floor. And I watched that baby weep and cry until he got that out of his spirit. And when he got that out of his spirit, he stood up. And now instead of looking at these people hurting his daddy, he was saying, okay, daddy, what we got to do, daddy? Come on, daddy. Let's have a prayer meeting, daddy. Come on, son. Let's have... You want to know what it was? You can hurt me, but you can't. You can't hold me hostage. 
There's some of you here tonight that need to hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to show you. I got a feeling we're going to have to close this real quick. There's something happening in the atmosphere. You want to know what Samson's mentality was when his own brothers hurt him? When his own brothers tied him up? The Bible said that when they tied him up, he got to looking at his own brothers. And they started walking away. The Bible said the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the cords became as flax. And he loosed off his hands. And he slew more after his pain than he did before his pain. I've come today to tell you, if in Calvary Apostolic, we can get enough of you to stand to your feet and begin to cry out to God. If we can get the Spirit of the Lord to move. There's nothing. There's nothing. I don't care who you are. I don't care who abused you. I don't care who hurt you. I don't care how you shamed yourself. If we can just get the spirit of the Lord to move tonight in Denver, Colorado, all of a sudden those bonds are going to come off your arms. If we can just get the spirit of the Lord moving, if I can just get those that are still in this thing from the heart, if I can just get those that are still here and say, Brother White, I still love the church. I still love the kingdom. I still love the move of God. Come on, lift your hands high and begin to create that atmosphere. Begin to release the Spirit of God. What we need in this house is somebody that says, I'm not going to sit here until I'm destroyed. I'm not Honey, I... I can't help that they weren't faithful to you. I can't help, young lady, that that no good, no count for nothing hurt you. I can't help, sir, that you never got the affirmation your daddy should have given you. But you better hear me. Tonight in the Holy Ghost, I want to wrap my arms around your head. And I want to grab you by the back of your hair and tell you it's still worth it. It's still worth this thing. Is there anybody in here that can say, Brother White, it's still worth it all? Do you understand that Samson conquered more after he was hurt than he ever did before he was hurt? I'm going to tell you somewhere you got to be loosed from people's opinions so you can fellowship again. You got to be loosed from shame and intimidation so you can worship. You got to be loosed from bitterness. So you can trust again. Can I tell you where this message comes from? I'm done. Young person in my church began to struggle. Bubba, when I tell you she struggled, girl that had always been strong, all of a sudden she struggles. Next thing I know, she bails out. People start calling me saying, Bro, White, are you aware that so-and-so's done this and she's done that and she's wearing this and that? And it shocked me, but she was so tender. She came back into the church within a week prayed through another week they called me and said brother why do you wear she's backslid again I said you gotta be kidding me and she and I watched her for a period of about a month and a half brother Haman she was in and out and then I knew there was something bothering her I didn't have a clue what it was brother Spell. little did I know 
that there was somebody that had flung a craving on her, began to send her text messages, intimate texts. And she responded to a few things that she shouldn't have responded to. Uh, I wish I had time to preach about that a little bit, but I won't. I didn't have a clue about any of that. I didn't have a clue about what was going on. Little did I know that this guy was blackmailing her, telling her, if you don't do this, I'm going to send all these texts and everything to the preachers and all the saints and all your friends. I didn't have a clue. All I knew, brother, she was in and out. And in and out. Finally, that last time she come to the altar. Forgive me for being human. Last time she come to the altar, she went to pray and she couldn't get nowhere. And that righteous indignation rose with her. Bless God. God's not going to let her keep playing around like this. God's going to punish her. God's going to make her feel desperate. And I watched. All of a sudden she started pulling that beautiful hair. Crying, laying that hair on the altar. Screaming, God, where are you? Where are you? Maybe I'm just carnal like that. But I turned and started to walk away. And God said, stop and go back to her. And I walked back to her side. And God spoke to me. And he said, you get down in her ear where nobody else can hear. And you tell her these words. I can't stop people from hurting you. But I won't let them make you a hostage. If you're willing to come out. When I whispered that in her ear. I watched that baby melt on that altar. Within minutes, she was talking in tongues. She's never wavered, my brother. She's never wavered one time. She made a vow to God that I'm going to be right with God. And for one year, she wouldn't even date a young man. But during that year, God began to use her. And God began to elevate her. And last Sunday night, she was directing the choir at my church because there's something inside of an individual that says, I can't stop you from hurting me, but I will not let you hold me hostage. First Timothy said, God hates lawless men. He hates disobedient, profane men, murderers. But then God said, oh, by the way, there's something else that I hate. I hate men stealers. People that try to take others hostage. Ladies and gentlemen, there's people in this building right now. I have no idea. I haven't been here in seven years. It's been seven years. I don't know what's sitting out here. But I'm telling you, there's some of you out here tonight. Before Mile High ever sees the second morning of its services. God wants to deliver some of you tonight. Because you've been hurt. And you don't understand it. And you feel isolated. And you feel trapped. And you feel alone. But I've come to tell you what you need to be feeling. Is the flow of the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. And stand up out of your seat right now. Get out of that pew. And come to this altar and say, okay God. They can hurt me. But I will not let them make me a hostage. I'm preaching to preachers right now. That ought to crawl out of those seats. And come to an altar and say, God. They may hurt me. But I'm hanging on to my passion. I'm hanging on to my zeal. I'm hanging on to my burden. I'm preaching to preachers' wives tonight that have been hurt so many times, it's easy to distrust. 
you can hurt me but I will not let you hold me hostage come on this altar's open forgive me for going so long would you find a place to pray right now Come on, honey.